the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever they might be. We'll do the best that we can. If there's something going on in your life and you'd like some help with that, maybe we can help with that as well. As you probably know by now, I'm firmly convinced that the Bible has answers to every problem we've ever had or ever will have. And by finding out what those answers are, we can just walk with Jesus through whatever the trial you might be in today might be. You can call us by calling 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app, and you will be connected directly to the studio producer by hitting the Call Now button on the app. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know, last yesterday I didn't say anything about. It. We don't have really anything to talk about before we get into the questions. But one of the things I want to mention, I didn't know yesterday when we were on the air whether or not our our ladies retreat debrief was going to be live streamed. Paula tells me that it was, and she came home last night just thrilled with. Uh, um, as thrilled as you can be when your heart's being ripped apart and convicted. Uh, but it was live streamed, and I would strongly suggest that if you get the opportunity, um, listen to what the ladies had to say. There were 10 of them that spoke last night. We're going to do it again the following Monday next week. So um, um, it just, uh, I could tell Paula was visibly moved and, and really blessed. Um, um, one young woman in particular um, just thought, wow, what love she had, what love she demonstrated. So um, calvarysa.com, you can go to our our archive. You'll see it there under Women's Ministry, and it will be there for last night. It would be a really, really good way to spend 45 minutes or an hour, I promise you. Okay, let's go right to questions that have been sent in. We've got some good ones that have been sent in today. Remember, we like your live calls because you're a whole lot more interesting than I am. Here's a question from our email inbox from Nacho. Um, Pastor Ron, is there a correlation to the use of the phrase or words, the way, as we compare Isaiah 35, verse 8, in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, the former being Hebrew, the latter being Greek, they seem to be different in translation. 
but the spirit of intent seems to be the same. Could you expound on that a little, please? If they do mean the same thing, is Isaiah prophesying about the New Testament church in that same chapter? Uh, not sure. No, he's not. That's to miss the context of the passage. Now, remember, there weren't chapter and verse divisions in the manuscripts as they were written. Chapter 34 in Isaiah is all about the destruction of the nations. Now, th- there's short-term and long-term fulfillment in all of these prophecies. Uh, short-term uh, fulfillment, of course, the Assyrians would come in and they would devastate uh, Israel. We had a question about the Assyrian invasion yesterday. Um, and, and God is telling them, that, look, this is going to be okay. After the judgment of nations, you will be restored. God wants them to know I have a hand on them. But the, the long-term fulfillment, Nacho, is far more important to us. After the destruction of nations, after the great tribulation, then there's going to be this highway. And it literally means highway, not like we think of a highway or a freeway, but above the ground. You remember in ancient, uh, the ancient world, um, roads were treacherous, fraught with bandits, and they were hard to pass, and they could be very, very dangerous and narrow, and people died making short trips. Um, when a king would... Uh, travel or before the king would travel, they would send out what we would call road crews or construction crews to level out the roads or to to take the low places and raise them up. And that's the idea here when Isaiah is talking about the highway in the 8th verse. But what he's doing most importantly is prophesying to that time that we call the millennial reign when everything is going to be restored and uh, renewed. Now, the way is what Christians were identified by uh, in the early church. It was at Antioch that they were first called Christians. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, Paul was uh, on his own way, but it was his way and not God's way, and that's where Jesus met him. So the idea here is completely separate from any New Testament construct except that which deals with the millennial reign of Christ on earth. Uh, great promises. Um, there's great personal application for all of us. You know, some uh, of us, uh, I'm one of them. Uh, my life was devastated because of my sin. I had more problems than I ever dreamed that I'd be able to get out of. And all I had to do was take Jesus' way, follow his way. And while it didn't happen overnight, I can promise you that. I can say that by following Jesus, um, I watched him restore my life. Uh, I saw him restore my marriage. Eventually restored the respect that my sons once had for their dad that they no longer had when I messed everything up. So God is a professional at taking care of restoring our lives. The old is gone, the new has come. Um, Sometimes it doesn't happen as quickly as we want it to, but Jesus, it will take his way, the highway, the above way, will find ourselves out of the trouble that we're in. So, not to a good question. I hope that helps answer it. Here is a question from Rich from our email inbox. It says, what does John mean when he writes, we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is in First John chapter 3, verse 2. In what ways will we be like him? Well, Rich, obviously we won't be God. Now, this is a reference that time when we stand face to face with Jesus. When we leave these earthly bodies and we go to be in the presence of the Lord, we will be like he is. In what ways? Well, we're going to have glorified physical resurrected bodies. Uh, the body that I have, the body that you have, Rich, Um, isn't fit for heaven. Paul is traveling again next week and she'll get into an airplane and they're going to have to uh, pressurize the cabin so that when they go to 32 or 35,000 feet, whatever the cruising altitude is going to be, uh, their heads won't explode. The cabin has to be pressurized. Our physical bodies now uh, can't even withstand that kind of altitude. So there has to be an accommodation. Well, we have a complete transformation that has to occur. And we will be in our glorified, physical, resurrected bodies just like Jesus. 
Now, the one way we won't be like Jesus, Rich, is that Jesus is going to bear his scars, his wounds for eternity in his body. An everlasting reminder to all of us of just how high and wide and long and deep the love of God for us really is. So we're going to be like him except in that way. But there's other ways that we're going to be like him. We're not going to have a sin nature. You know, I've been asked a whole bunch of times on this program over the years, well, what if I blow it when I get to heaven? There's no chance that that's going to happen because your sin nature is going to be taken away. You're going to desire only the things of God. You're going to want to be around God. You're going to want to worship God. You're going to want to serve God. And by the way, we will serve in the millennium and we'll serve in some undescribed capacity in heaven as well forever and ever and ever. But here's the thing that we really need to understand, that we will no longer be tempted by sin or to sin. We won't have memories of the bad things that we did. Our hearts will be filled with the infinite joy of the Lord. We'll know him intimately as we are known now by him. And I can't wait for that time. That's not a morbid death wish. It's just that we all struggle so mightily with our flesh. And I can't wait for that day to be over when I don't, I'll never again have to say, I'm so sorry, Jesus. I blew it again. I'll never have to say that. I'll never have to worry about those ugly thoughts that come in or those people that I refuse to forgive. I'll be just like Jesus. Did I say I can't wait for that day? So, Rich, that's the question, that we'll be like him in all of those wonderful, wonderful ways. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from John from our email account. Uh, He says, this is an interesting question, John. In light of the current climate of the Me Too movement, what do you think about the hugging that goes on in so many churches? Should we abstain from that kind of touching? John, you know, I'm a hugger, and I absolutely refuse to let political correctness uh, change who I am. Now, it, it has to make everybody more careful, the, the current climate that we are experiencing. But I think when we change the way we relate to people, because we're afraid of what someone might say or do, I think then we're the ones who are getting ripped off. I I told you, John, I'm a hugger. Now, what I do, uh, I know who I can hug and who doesn't want to be hugged. But when I'm meeting new people, um, I I found a great way to minister to to many. I will say to them uh, as I'm introducing myself or they're introducing themselves to me, I'll say, I'm a hugger. Is that okay? And I do this with men and women, and I do this with children as well. I'm a hugger. Is that okay with you? And overwhelmingly, the response I get is, yes, I'm a hugger too, or sure, it's okay with me. And I refuse to change that uh, about me. I'm I'm not going to get ripped off just because somebody might take it the wrong way or the message might be sent. Again, I want to be really, really careful, and I think we should. And I try really hard to remember and I hug lots and lots of people every day but I try to remember uh, as, as best I'm able uh, to ask first but I just don't want to take that element of touch and I don't want fear to dominate my life I don't want this church to become a sterile place where people are bumping knuckles instead of giving hugs uh, that's what the church does you know the early church it says uh, greet one another with a holy kiss you've seen uh, in the eastern world when people kiss uh, uh, three times on the cheeks um, you know that's just a, a, a sort of a holy kiss father son holy spirit type of kiss and it's ingrained in the culture uh, while that's not so ingrained in our culture John um, I don't really think it's a bad idea not the formal stiff thing but uh, we kind of replaced it at Calvary Chapel with hugging. No, there are people that don't like to be hugged, and we always have to respect that. We always have to respect that. 
um, I've actually forgotten to ask, and I've gone back and said, you know, I am so sorry. I always ask before I did, and I re- realized I didn't ask you, and uh, I, I just want him to know that wasn't a presumptuous hug. But I think what we need to do, John, is just be who we are. And if you're not a touchy-feely person, you're probably going to be uncomfortable with that. But remember, our job is to minister the love of God to other people. Our job is not to protect how we feel. Our job is to minister the love of God. I hope that helps, John. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas now and talk with Nona on line one. Nona, did I say your name right? Oh, yes, sir. Good. What's your question? Oh, the question was, uh, I thought it gave it to you. I'm sorry. Um, there's scripture that says it's an abomination for a woman to wear anything pertaining to a man. So I would like clarification on that because I know my grandmother back in the day, she never was in pants. So I didn't know if that's what it applies to, really. So. Yeah. Thank you, Nona. I can do that. Uh, you know, culturally, things have changed so much. My grandmother would get up... Uh, every day, and she would put on hose, and she would put on dresses, and she would do her hair and do her makeup. It didn't matter if she was doing anything or going anywhere. People sat around their homes uh, fully dressed. We don't do that anymore. So the, the, the abomination part of that is is for a man to try to be a woman, effeminate, or for a woman to try to be a man, uh, being more masculine, uh, trying to look or take the place of or, or we would say today cause confusion uh, by their appearance. So uh, it doesn't it doesn't prohibit a woman wearing pants or shorts or anything else. Um, the idea there is is to um, take on uh, the characteristics or the traits of the gender you're not. Um, that's what it means. You know, we have a whole subculture in the gay community where. Um, women, um, w- w- you can look at many relationships, you'll see one who is very masculine, uh, taking on the male role. Um, the black community calls that uh, the, the, that woman the stud. Uh, in in the, the Caucasian community, it was referred to as, as being the butch. Um, that's what God is saying that is an abomination to him. Um, what he wants us to do is be who we are and serve him with our whole heart. It has nothing to do with the clothing that you wear. Um, you're free to wear pants. You're free to wear shorts, um, tank tops, whatever you want. Uh, we live in a in a hot climate, so things are very um, um, sort of lax here. Um, you can go to uh, very expensive restaurants wearing shorts and flip-flops uh, in other parts of the country where it's not that way. Uh, they've got dress codes. Uh, one of the things I would like to say, Nona, your question gives me the opportunity to do that, is deal with the way that we dress in church. Um, I've said on this program before that we have a dress code here at Calvary Chapel, and our dress code is that, that my preference is that people would spend more time getting their hearts ready for church than their bodies ready for church. So we want to dress modestly. Um, but it really doesn't matter whether you're wearing shorts or whether you're wearing a T-shirt or whether you're wearing a suit and tie. Um, it's just something that if your heart is right before God, you look really, really good to him. So you're free to wear pants. You're free to, to dress as you please. Just don't try. Uh, in your case, it would be uh, an abomination if you tried to convince people that you are a man or acted manly in the sense that uh, we see happening now in our culture. Thanks, Nona. I appreciate the question. Isn't it interesting? It's interesting to me that uh, the prohibitions, uh, we we so misinterpreted in, in the generations before uh, Nona and in generations before me, but now we see this all coming around again and the world is approving uh, exactly what um, God hates. Shouldn't surprise any of us. Read Isaiah chapter 5. Let's go to the Texas Hill Country and talk with Amy online, too. Amy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I appreciate you taking my call today. Thank you. I um, have heard you talk on, I've heard you talk on the program off and on as I'm able to listen to you um, about dealing uh, with your adult children. 
and I know that you have adult children. Is that correct? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, I have a son that's 35, and back in April, um, he became suicidal and ended up in a psychiatric hospital and um, here in Texas. And we went up there to support him, to visit him on during visiting hours and stuff. And he got out of the psychiatric hospital and was doing somewhat better. He was on medication. He didn't like being on them. I was trying to switch uh, job careers because he thought that was contributing to his um, depression. And now we're almost back to April again, and he's starting to deal with depression again. Um, and he self-medicates to deal with anxiety. And my husband and I just have a really difficult time um, knowing how to minister to him um, without without letting God do what God needs to do. Yeah, yeah. Amy, my heart goes out to you. Uh, as a pastor, I deal with these kinds of issues a lot. Uh, and there's always a bunch of pain. The enemy heaps on all kinds of guilt. But you stated a moment ago, the answer is God has to do what God's going to do. And the reason for his depression, um, and I'm not discounting mental illness. I'm not discounting the reality of of um, bipolarism or um, um, schizophrenia, any of the other things. Uh, depression is real. These things are real. Um, but the overarching reason that people are depressed and discouraged and try to hurt themselves is because they don't know Jesus. As a parent, it's your job to introduce your children to Jesus. Uh, the fact that they get older uh, doesn't eliminate that responsibility to the parent. Um, but they've got to be willing participants. At some point, you've got to be able to look at your son and say, um, you need Jesus, and apart from Jesus, there isn't going to be any help. And then you've got to be able to commit him, or in many cases, a daughter, to prayer. Now, we don't do that because we feel like we're abandoning our children, but God loves them way more than we do, Amy. He loves them way more than we do. And so the rules for adult children... Uh, if they, if they, and and so many of these parents take their kids back into the home, and the kids just sit around. They don't do anything. They won't work. Uh, the idea of self-medicating is exceptionally dangerous, and in many cases, that means uh, using marijuana or or drinking or or other drugs. Um, uh, the rules are simple. If you're going to live at my house, you're going to serve the Lord. You, you can't make them get saved, but we're going to go to church. We're going to have Bible studies in the home. Uh, you're going to honor Jesus. You're not going to sit around all day and play video games. You're, you're going to go to work, and you're going to contribute support. Uh, and, and we love you. You're our son. We'll help you as long as we can. But this house belongs to Jesus. And we're going to insist that you do things according to those rules. And then they have a choice to make. And if they make the wrong choice, then what we have to do is we have to turn them over to the Lord. I realize how difficult that is. I've looked at parents and they, they, they looked at me like I was the worst person in the world when I've said that to them. But the only way we really help our children is to help them grow, uh, to grow up, and to grow in the Lord. And if they're unwilling to take that step, then we've got to, with a clear conscience, leave them alone with Jesus and um, just pray for them. That's all we can do. It's, a, it's, it's the, the most helpful thing that we can do. But we can't hold their hand. We can't make it easy for them. And we can't condone, just because they're having some difficulties, we cannot condone... Um, um, irresponsible behavior of, of any sort. And when, when people who are mentally ill, and you, you made a very important statement, Amy, you said that he doesn't want to take his meds. That's the nature of a lot of mental illness, that the diseases sort of uh, uh, make them dull. Or I'm sorry, not the disease, the medications sort of make them dull. And, and off the meds, mm -hmm. many times they feel better physically. Um, but one of the things that they've got to agree to do is to take the prescribed medications 
And uh, again, this is not a problem that's going away. The problem is increasing. Uh, and we have so many um, middle-aged young adults uh, in their 30s and even into their 40s and 50s who are still living off of their parents and doing absolutely nothing. That's not helping them. So without guilt, Amy, without guilt, uh, set some ground rules and give him the opportunity to, to say yes. But if he says no, then he's got to be on his own. And, and you simply can't so you don't uh, be responsible. I'm sorry? You don't discourage, you don't discourage um, parents from setting ground rules and taking them into their home. Um, that That's where that some of that um, difficulty comes in is um, knowing whether or not that person needs to be brought into the home while they're dealing with depression as long as they follow the rules. We've never no, offered I, that. Yeah, no, no, I don't discourage that at all. In in fact, I, 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 I we that's that's the first. I, maybe I didn't speak clearly enough, but we have to make sure. Uh, Amy, that they're willing to take their meds, that they're going to do the right things, they're going to be in church, they're going to participate in family Bible studies. Um, Amy, I'm going to, uh, you can hang up now, but I'm going to go on the other side and I'll finish what I'm about to say because we're about to be cut off. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Amy, are you still on the line? Yeah, I am. Oh, good. Good, Amy. Thank you for holding. I want this to be really, really clear. I always encourage families to help each other, but there has to be ground rules. And it's it's in those cases where the, the 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 adult child is unwilling to abide by the rules in the house or is unwilling to take their medication. Um, those are the times when we have to draw a line and take take what uh, many would would deem as a hard stance. But I'm always encouraging people help them, uh, tell them about Jesus, example Jesus for them, but. We, we just need to be really, really careful not to enable sinful behavior. We need to be careful to um, uh, constantly show them that Jesus is the way and they, they, things aren't going to get better. People don't like that because it sounds so hopeless. But the, the truth of the matter is, apart from Christ, there is no hope. Not, not just for people with mental illness, but, but for you and for me, Amy. Jesus is the way. And when they reject him and they don't want to go to church or they don't want to follow the rules, that's when it becomes problematic. And that's when we have to take um, the, this this hard stance. So, uh, yes, encourage him. Yes, reach out to him. Uh, and, and yes, pray for him. But by all means, he can't continue the self-destructive behavior uh, of self-medicating. That's that's so dangerous. Nor um, what people do when they get discouraged or depressed if they sort of just withdraw and they don't, they don't go out and they don't do anything. They got to be a part of the world, and uh, and Jesus will meet them there if they want to be met. Does that help at all? Yes, sir, it does. Um, I I know that sometimes parents struggle also with whether it's actually mental illness or whether or not it's self-induced. In other words. Yeah. I don't want to live for God. I do not want to accept Christ. He's told us before. Um, you've told me the gospel. You've given me the gospel. And y'all choose to believe that way. I choose not to believe that way. But to me, when somebody deals with depression that's not mental illness, um, it's going to be very depressing because life can be very hard. Yep. By, uh, based on the choices you've made in the past. And so some yep. of that is dealing, being depressed is dealing with the past, the choices we've made then, and we're having to live with them now. Correct? Yep. 
Yes, I agree with you, and, and uh, I'll, I'll add only this. Uh, there is another enemy out there who uses depression. Remember, the, the enemy's goal is to rob, to kill, to steal, and destroy, and he is going to pound mm-hmm. your son, and uh, all you can do is warn him. But if he is adamant, uh, and I don't want your Jesus, I don't want anything to do with him, There's uh, you've told me the gospel and I reject it, uh, there's a time when we have to say you're on your own. And, and mentally mm-hmm. ill or not, we have to say, then we have no other way to help you. And, and often what they want is just a, a safe place to, to live, uh, the ability to eat some food and some money to spend if they need it. And, uh, and, and at some point, you've you got to realize that as much as you love your child, uh, you're not helping somebody by, by allowing them to stay in that position. And, and uh, it, it's so hard to watch our kids fall farther and farther down that rabbit hole. But it's at that rabbit hole sometimes, the lowest possible places where they, they will, with, with the, of course, the help of the Spirit, they will, they will remember the Jesus that mom or dad was telling them about and, and cry out to him. Um, and sometimes that's what it takes. It takes people to get to the very, very bottom. So if you're not sure it's mental illness, if this is just uh, consequences and choices and, and even melancholy mm-hmm. as a result, um, there's a time when you say, you, you got to go. You're on your own. you got to go. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. But every time you ask me for help, the answer is going to be, his name is Jesus. And you got to be able to do that okay. without guilt, Amy. Okay? Thank you very much. Thank you, Amy. I'll be praying for you and for your son. Thank you very, very much for the call. 340-9585, one of the most difficult things that we deal with uh, is this you know, when, when somebody is depressed or when they try to hurt themselves, um, immediately the doctor prescribes antidepressants, um, makes um, five-minute diagnoses about what the potential problems are. Um, and we're so quick to believe. What we've got to do is we've got to help people find the answer. Amy, you're doing the right thing. Let's go to David calling from San Antonio on line one. David, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yes, I was calling to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It's public. I don't know if you can hear this on the on the air or if your listeners can, but I had a little trouble hearing the conversation previously before me. Okay. But I'll do my best. Anyway, okay. the subject the subject I'm talking about is mental illness and. I myself am mentally ill, and I believe that mental illness is not of God, but at the same time, people who are mentally ill can be shepherds of God as well. I, I agree, David. Thank you for calling. I'll, if you listen, I'll, uh, you can be able to hear my answer better if you're, if you're listening on the radio. Thank you, David. Uh, again, the, the other call, David, in case you didn't hear, was about um, potentially a son who was, was dealing with depression or mental illness. Uh, she just wasn't sure. Um, we have some mentally ill people whose conditions are uh, regulated by medication, who are serving God faithfully. Uh, they're serving God sacrificially. Uh, and even though they have difficult issues to deal with, uh, they have a, a loving, faithful church around them to help them, and we're patient and we're understanding. So um, you're right, mental illness is not of God, and by that I don't mean it's always of the devil. We live in a fallen world, and this is not the way um, God made things. Uh, our world is broken. Our our bodies are broken. Our minds get broken. And that's why there is a genuine need for loving, caring, I would add, Christian mental health physicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, who can offer help. But David, uh, God bless you. I, I you, you call here fairly regularly on the program. Um, you just keep serving the Lord, and and um, whatever your limitations might be. Uh, God removes those limitations. Just serve Him in the power of the Spirit, and uh, and you will be well. You will be well, and there are rewards waiting for you. 
Thank you, David. Let's go to Johnson City and talk with Wes on line two. Wes, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of on the same subject, I have an acquaintance that is a um, family member, and, um, you know, they've struggled with alcoholism before I even knew they had a problem. And uh, now that I understand that they are an alcoholic, a functioning alcoholic, and um, they're a churchgoer, they're a believer. Uh, but I have been around this person in fact, uh, and I had seen their continents, his continents change, his appearance change. Mm-hmm. I mean, to where it looked like something just come over his facial features and what have. And I don't know if it's a spirit of alcoholism. I don't know what it is. This guy has so much potential. But this alcoholism that uh, he's been feeding for years now and he's functioning with there's times when he just seems like a regular he's a regular church core and there's times when he's uh functioning you wouldn't know it and then there's other yeah. times when he is someone else and uh mm-hmm. now he's uh starting to uh having he's starting to have trouble controlling his anger and i've googled mm-hmm. that and i've realized that an alcoholic has uh you know that does touch that part of their brain to where they're prone uh, uh, to be easily angered and set off, and he's developed that. And I am way concerned for him. He gives to the church, even, I notice, and he can't then ever seem to be able to pay his bills. I mean, I'm just, you know, and, uh, you know, I love him. Uh, you know, I want to help him. I've tried to talk to him, and all he does is he's in such severe denial that he'll just jump up while I'm trying to discuss the, the, the thing uh, without uh uh, looking like I'm judging him, I'm just talking to him, trying to, you know, trying to, um, trying to help him, let him know I am concerned, and uh, of course he uh, gets uh, defensive and uh, he's in heavy, heavy denial, like most alcoholics are, mm-hmm. and he'll just jump up and run off, and then I'm yep. left there, and I just I leave myself, and you know I just don't know what to do with him anymore. He's living in a house where he's not having to pay any rent any and um you know um he's he's if he had i don't know what he would have to do once uh if we decide to sell this house and he's you know and i don't know where he's going to live how he's going to you know he can't pay uh his bills there and he's living rent free uh so you know he's got all these problems he's had divorce after divorce he's got a young child and i, I can tell this is influencing her and he's leaving a wake behind him he, and he's yeah. such a sweet guy and i'm going man what to do you know i talked to one person they said you know you're going to have to get him out of that house and he's just he's going to have to hit rock bottom before he can ever and you know of course that could uh, you know i don't know where it's going but it's gotten really scary almost it's almost like oh my lord you know it's a family disease it's a it's a problem to where it's affecting everyone and we're you know you don't want to be part of it but at the same time you hate to just uh leave him out on his own anyway i don't know what to do yeah i I, let me let me give you some some help i hope wes and you call so i know your heart and i know you won't take this personally but what i'm about to say is going to anger a whole bunch of people Alcoholism is not a disease. It is a sin. The Bible calls it drunkenness. And um, uh, if, if this was somebody that I cared about, and I've had this very conversation, Wes, with a whole bunch of people over the years in our church, uh, functional drunks, uh, people that couldn't sleep will get to sleep. They couldn't calm down without drinking uh, during the day or drinking at night before they go to bed. Uh, some who, like you uh, indicated with your family member, uh, struggle with anger and they blame it on the alcohol. Well, I can't help myself. This is just, uh, I'm, I'm an addict. No, you're not an addict. You're a sinner. And my Bible, and if she can show them out of 1 Corinthians 6 or Galatians chapter 5, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just that simple. He knows about Jesus, but this is a man that doesn't know him. A born-again believer, the reason he gets up and he runs, Wes, when you talk to him about it, is because he doesn't want to stop drinking. And you have to get to that place, understanding that God loves him more than you do, where you realize that you can't help him. One of the things that I've learned about drunks, especially functional drunks, 
is that they become, they're very clever and they can be very manipulative. And they, they, they sort of sense when people are going to help them out of guilt. And you've got to be at that place where you say, you know, you say you know Jesus, but you're living in a way that denies that you know him. So I'm going to leave you alone with him. I'm going to pray for you every day. I want you to be in heaven. I'm going to pray for you and pray that the Lord will touch your heart. But you're living like an unbeliever, so that's how I'm going to treat you. And um, I love you. And then let him get mad and, and you just go away. But then you just commit him to prayer. Uh, it's not a matter, and I, I understand the psychology and understand the, the alcohol culture that we have in this world. Uh, in terms like, well, you got to let him hit rock bottom. He's already at rock bottom. He just doesn't realize it yet. And what has to happen now, Wes, is a move of God's Spirit in his heart. And the only thing God is waiting for is him to be willing. You cannot have a relationship with God. Giving a little bit of money at church uh, doesn't fix everything. Uh, Being a regular church attender doesn't fix everything. You cannot hear from God if you have unrepentant sin in your life. And, And this person in your family, he is simply unrepentant, unwilling to stop. And things are not going to get better for him. They're going to get worse. Every time he raises his hands in a worship song or sings a hymn uh, in a Baptist church, wherever it is that he's going, uh, God takes those things he says seriously. And it's Jesus who's going to put him in that place where the consequences come to bear. And you can't feel guilty. You can't help him. You don't have the power to help. Um, He's got to repent. And unless he's willing to do that, there's nothing that you can do. I'm sorry. Uh, I wish there were other things. Uh, It's not a program that he has to get into. Uh, He needs Jesus. And until he recognizes that, uh, things are going to get worse. Wes, I hope that isn't discouraging, but uh, no guilt. Uh, Tell him God loves him. Tell him you love him. Let him know that you're going to be praying and and keep him before the throne of God in prayer. constantly, never stop praying, never give up, but at the same time, recognize that he's the one who has to make the choice. And going to church, being raised in Texas, being a Baptist, being a Catholic, being a Calvary Chapel person, none of that saves you. It's when God changes a human heart by virtue of meeting him. If he changed the heart of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus, he can certainly change your family member's heart as well. Wes, I'm sorry for you. I'll be praying for your friend and for you as well. Thanks for your heart to care so deeply. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas, and talk with Ray on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me all right? Hi, Ray. I can hear you. Oh, okay. Well, I uh, was wondering, and maybe I know the answer. Maybe I've forgotten it. I just don't know. And so I thought I would ask about our resurrected bodies, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, glorified, and Jesus will be just like Jesus, except for he will retain his uh, wounds, you know, his his scars, his scourges. And and, um, is there a passage in the Bible that states that? And if so, um, or if not even, why why is that so, other than just to remind us how much he sacrificed for us, with, you know, the love, if that makes any sense to you? It does, Ray. Thank you. And I can, I can help you with that, I think. Um, Thank you. you. Know, I, uh-huh, Ray. I always say it, 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 there's no... There's really no value in asking why does Jesus still have his scars. Uh, we're just told that uh, he has them. Uh, I looked upon a lamb looking as though he had been slain in the book of Revelation. Um, uh, Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It was always his plan. And uh, it, it, it's hard to explain. Um, but, but those grotesque scars, Isaiah tells us that his visage, his face was marred beyond recognition in human form. Um, his beard was pulled out. His face was beaten without mercy. His back opened up. His hands and his uh, feet 
with with nail piercings through them, uh, the the place in his side where the Roman spear was thrust in. Um, those are going to be for us an everlasting reminder of just how high and wide and deep and long his love for us is. And as grotesque as those scars are, they're going to be in heaven the most beautiful things ever. You know, Thomas, uh, Jesus just held his hands out and said, touch and feel, Thomas. And Thomas did, and then he fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. When, when we do that, it's going to be the most wonderful act of worship. We're going to look at him and we're going to look at those scars and we're going to say, you love me that much. And his answer is going to be, I loved you that much. You did this for me. And his answer is going to be, I did it for you. And Ray, for you and for me, I think um, one of the things we got to delight in is that he would have done it if it was only you or only me. Because he loved us that much. So, yes, he is going to have the same body that he walked through that wall and found Thomas and said, Thomas, touch and feel. Uh, that's the body he's going to have. And as unfair as that seems to us in this time and space dimension, as grotesque as those scars must be, somehow we're going to look at them and it's going to be the most beautiful thing that we've ever seen. And I think at that moment, Ray, we're going to understand that it's just for us on such a personal level, uh, something we can't even begin to understand. Now, we talk so much about his shed blood, his scars. Uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. We, we hear those phrases from the word all the time. But one day we're going to own them. And we're going to look in that face and we're going to know the purest of loves. And every one of us as Christians, when we're unkind to somebody, when we yell at somebody, we raise our voice in anger. It's because we don't understand that love. When a woman gives her body to somebody just to prove that she loves them or hopes to be loved, it's because she doesn't understand that love. She doesn't know her value to God. Whenever we decide to turn on Jesus and sin willfully, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it. It's because we don't know our, our value to God. We don't know what his love is all about. On that day, Ray, we are going to know. Thank you, Ray. I appreciate the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're inside five minutes now, so if you have a question, we can do it. Here's a question from Kevin. How old did Adam and Eve appear to be when they were created? Kevin, we don't know. All we know is they were perfect. Whatever perfect is, that's how old they appeared to be. I would love, imagine Adam and somebody coming up to him and saying, now obviously they were the only ones there, but let's just pretend for a moment, we all could say, how old are you? And he would say, I'm just a week old. Oh, no, you're... So, when he died, he still was perfect. I mean, he'd fall in the world then, but he was created whatever the perfect age is, and I don't know what that's going to be. So when we get to heaven, will babies be babies? Will adults be babies? Um, we don't know, but we do know that they were absolutely perfect. Here is a question from Pam. Were angels jealous of humans when God created them? Pam, that's a great question, and if you uh, are regular in this program, I've gone out on a limb a few times because I have sort of a, a strange view of, of Satan's fall. You know, nobody knows exactly sure when Satan fell, uh, what time it was, uh, how long they were created. We always talk about sometime in eternity past. Um, but I, I, I personally believe that, that the angels, most notably Lucifer, um, was jealous of humans. When God made man on the sixth day, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that we were his poem, his expression of, of beauty, the best thing he's ever done 
And if you read the description of Lucifer in Ezekiel 28, I think up to that point, Lucifer was the most beautiful thing God ever created. And I think personally, now this is just my opinion, I can't prove it biblically, and this is just something we can't know, but I think that the fall occurred when God was so delighted when he made mankind and had all of the angels look over the edge of time and space and say, look what I've done, this is the best thing ever. I think that's when Lucifer rebelled. Now, again, I can't prove that, but uh, that's just knowing how the devil is and knowing what he wanted to be worshipped, knowing that he was no longer the best thing God ever created, the most beautiful. I personally think that that's when and why they fell. And he took a third of the angels with him. So... um, my answer is yes. Somebody else would say no. Angels aren't jealous of humans. I can say this. Angels are no longer jealous of humans because they passed the test. Those two-thirds of the angels who stayed in their first estate, stayed with Jesus, um, they, they don't make choices like that. They uh, surround the throne of God. They gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and, and uh, they're no longer jealous. But I think at one time when they made a choice... They had that opportunity. So I hope that answers your question, Pam. Thanks very much. How am I doing on time? Oh, don't even have time for a question. Okay. I was going to try to do a really quick question, but I won't. Let me remind you once again, um, calvaryessay.com. You can go there and watch the ladies. I think there were 10 of them that spoke last night. Uh, our, our sort of retreat reflections, Paula calls them. And um, I, you will really, really be blessed. A young woman named Amber. Um, if that doesn't rock you to your core, I don't know what will. Uh, but be blessed and enjoy. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the calls today. Uh, great program. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You've been listening to the Word of Santa for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.